We hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. There's been so much uh, said already, which you'll see will tie into the message. It's always good when God pre-confirms what you're about to preach. Um, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, what did he say? I am, there I am amongst them. So we've got two or more here, have we not? So does that not mean that Jesus is amongst us? And Jesus confirmed the words of the prophet Isaiah when he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all nations, upon men and women alike. The spirit is here. Jesus' spirit is with us. We have one purpose, one function. Why we're left on earth, why Jesus left the church, for one reason. It wasn't to sing great songs. It wasn't even to preach great sermons. One reason, our life's mission, is to be what Jesus called us to be. Disciples. who make disciples. So our life's mission is to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we've heard this morning about pressing in and pushing into Jesus. But do you know how that happens? It actually happens through surrender. It happens through stripping away. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, a tiniest gate through the wall. So how do you get the camel through? You strip its load away. You strip what it's carrying away and you give it a good shove. That's what happens in the children's Bible anyway. It's about surrendering to Jesus. You surrender your will. You surrender your dreams even. You surrender your wants, your desires. You surrender your finance. You surrender all to Jesus. That's how you press in. You press in by letting go. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? But that's what Jesus calls us to do. Press in by letting go. And by doing that, you become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Like Jesus said to the rich young man, go and give everything away to the poor, then come back and follow me. Go and strip all of that away. Then come back and follow me. Yeah. Let the dead bury the dead, he said. Yeah. Leave them to it. You come follow me. Yeah. Jesus made it hard for people to follow him. But I want to encourage you this morning that each and every one of you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, has a, an amazing part to play. Yeah. An amazing part to play. That's right. Everybody has a function, a role, and a purpose. The the Bible describes the church as the body. And it does that for a reason. The body is a perfect illustration. We have two hands, so we should do twice as much. We have two ears, so we should listen twice as hard. We have two eyes, so we should see twice as much. We have two feet, so we should go twice as far, but we only have one mouth. So when we've done all of those things, then we have the opportunity to speak life and love into people's lives. We each have a part to play. It says in Ephesians 4, 4, 11 through 12, It was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? Why did he give those things? 
to prepare God's people for works of ministry. That's why those gifts exist. They don't exist for the world out there. And people say evangelist. They exist to reach the lost. No, it doesn't. We're all called to do the work of the evangelist in that sense of reaching the lost. That's all our jobs. The evangelist's job in Ephesians 4 is to give the church a kick up the backside and encourage it forward. So unfortunately for you, that's my gift. <laughs> so prepare to feel a little bit uncomfortable, maybe. Yeah. But do you know what? Do you know how an eagle gets the baby eagle to leave the nest? Do you know what she does? She stirs the nest. She makes it uncomfortable, so it has no choice but to off you go. Are you listening, kids? Time is coming. And some of you may say, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've been a Christian long enough, that's a good excuse, I hear that one a lot. I don't know enough of the Bible, I hear that one a lot. I haven't been to Bible college, I hear that one a lot. I don't have a degree, I hear that one a lot. But do you know what? Do you know the gospel? Yeah. That, that was, I'm a Pentecostal yeah. preacher, you either answer me or I'm preaching for longer. Do you know the gospel? Yeah. So you're qualified. God doesn't, he does not call the prepared. But he does, you've heard it said many times, he does prepare the called. Yeah. It says in Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage, this is one of my favourite bits of scripture, and you'll see why in a minute. Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, this is after they've been dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, the council, so they're surrounded by about 500 qualified Pharisees. When they saw Peter and John, their courage, they realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now here is why this piece of scripture is one of my favourites. It's that word ordinary, unschooled, because in the Greek it's idiotes. And if you directly translate idiotes, it means idiots. So they had two distinguishing marks in front of the Sanhedrin. One, they were idiots. And two, they'd been with Jesus. That's all you need. That's all you need. An idiot that's been with Jesus. I want to be an idiot for Jesus. I want people to look upon me and say, yeah, that guy's been with Jesus, but he's a bit of an idiot. I want them to see <laughs> the, the only good thing is Jesus. Because do you know what? The world out there, before they see Jesus for themselves, they have to see him in you first. You are a mirror that reflects heaven out there. And by out there, I don't mean standing on the street corner preaching. I don't mean on, on the next church outreach mission. I mean in everyday life. I mean where you go to work. I mean where, if you're a teacher, it's where you teach. If you're a, an engineer, it's where you make stuff. It's whatever you do on a day-to-day -day basis. That's where you're called. That's why it's important. That's why you're the body. That's why the hand can't say to the foot, I don't like, I don't want to be a hand, I don't want to be a foot. It can't do it. And I can't say to the ear, I don't want to be an eye, I want to be an ear. It can't do it. Although the eye gets preferential treatment. Have you noticed this? You're the apple of my eye. Yeah. And songs, they all do it. 
They all give the eye preference, I don't know why. Because if we were just one big eyeball, you're all visualising that now, if one big eyeball, you'd be useless, wouldn't you? Because you couldn't do anything else. Idiots who have been with Jesus. I remember back in prison when I first, I hadn't been a Christian long. And all I really knew was the gospel. But that's all I needed. And I think back to church then and it was so simple but so powerful. Because I literally had a captive audience. They could not escape you. So living your life and your faith, if you didn't do drugs, if you didn't swear, if you didn't have a collection of pornographic magazines in yourself, these are all things that made you stand out as different. It wasn't hard to go against the flow. So people would look and say, I want some of that. I want some of that. They need to see Jesus in you. So what do idiots who have been with Jesus, what do they look like? Well, one of the things is that they give their whole lives to him. They don't segment it off. They don't give a Sunday to him, then Monday through Saturday is all mine. That's right. Every day, every moment, they wake up, they think about Jesus. They go to sleep, they think about Jesus. They surrender their whole lives to him. It says in Luke 5, 8 through 10 and 11. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Now we know Peter was not the best example, really, because he messed up catastrophically. He committed section 18, chopped someone's ear off, (laughs) happened to be with Jesus, so Jesus stuck it back on for him. He, He ran away when challenged by a small girl. There are lots of mistakes that Peter made. And yet Jesus ultimately said to him in the declaration that he made, upon that rock, upon that truth, this rock here, I'm going to build my church. The second mark of an idiot who's been with Jesus is they become unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. It says in Acts 5, 38 through 39, therefore, this is after the Sanhedrin, therefore, In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? It really is that simple. When we start to read and understand the Word of God, and while we're on the Word of God, when did the Word of God not, when did it become not enough? Because the Word of God is the Word of God. If that's not all the power we need, and it says in Revelation, it gives us a blessing, it says that public reading of this Word comes with a blessing. What would happen though if you turned up to church on a Sunday and Mark just said, today we're going to read through 
the Gospel of Luke. And that's all we're going to do. Been tempted. That's all we're going to do. We're going to take it in turns. We're going to read, publicly read out scripture. Yeah. Because do you know what? The word of God is powerful enough. It is. And effective. And effective. You become unstoppable. So how does God want to use you? How does he want to use you to partner with the other believers, the other parts of the body of Christ? Well, first off, he wants to do it through Christ. You can't do it on your own. You can't muster it. You can't say, you know, today I'm going to give it my best. Remember, I said it's about stripping away. It's about surrender. It's about sacrifice. Ephesians 3, 21 says, Now all glory to God who is able, not us, to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. It doesn't get much better than that. There's a promise right there in the all-powerful word of God that all glory goes to God. And Jesus in his church, but also to us, within us, working in us. The blessing comes when we sacrifice, when we surrender to him, when we become fully devoted followers of Christ. You see, God wants us united. He wants us united. If there is any unity in the spirit, Paul said, any unity... God can move. Revival can't happen without unity. Unity of prayer, unity of purpose, unity of spirit. It can't happen without it. When anybody's got their own agenda, and a lot of the agendas I see in modern church today is is more about empire building than kingdom building. That they want to leave a legacy. That they want to give themselves a platform. And I see that so often. They're not building kingdom. But then I look back through history and I see the the men and women of God who did build kingdom whose names aren't forgotten but that wasn't their intent. Their intent was to build the kingdom of God, to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Idiots who have been with Jesus. God wants us united but there is another side to that coin. And that's that Satan Wants us divided. Yeah. It says in Acts 2, 44 through 47, this is God's word. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the church. That's how the church should be. That's how the church was before man got his hands on it and decided to 
change it up. That's how it should be. An Acts 2 church is the only kind of church that should exist. But there is another version of that scripture. And that's Satan's version. Satan's version is all the believers were divided. They didn't have much of anything in common. Hoarding their possessions and goods, they kept as much as they could for themselves. Every now and then, if the football wasn't on and they weren't too tired, they'd come to church for an hour and leave early to beat traffic. They loved Jesus when it was convenient for them, yet they were despised by people for their hypocrisy. And very few people got saved. Ouch. It's funny, but ouch. I try to interject a bit of humour when it's painful. I try to hold up a mirror, but that's often painful. The reality is, too much of the church is the second version of scripture, which isn't really, it's just made up. But then it's not, is it? It's observational. Mm -hmm. It actually points to what the issues are. So how do we... How do we bring change? How do we step into being an Acts 2 church? How do we make a difference? Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you... We're going to sign up to an agreement. We're going to make agreement together because if there is any unity in the spirit, yeah. we're going to make an agreement together. Yeah. And if you stick to this agreement, I guarantee you that by this time next year, your church will have doubled at least. That's a minimum. But you have to sign up to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Yeah. And I'm not giving you some sort of newfangled, this is just scripture. I'm not giving you some sort of, I'm not, I'm not going to write a new book on the back of it. It's just scripture. All glory to God. Because he's the only one that deserves it. So the first thing, there are four things that we have to agree to. The first one is to do anything short of sinning to reach people who do not follow Christ. I will do anything short of sin. Sin is, that's the line. That's the red line. That's the one that can't be crossed. I will not sin. But I will do anything to reach people. Paul said, I will become all things to all people in order that some might be saved. Some might be saved. I make myself a slave, he said, to everyone. To win as many as possible. I have become all things to all men. So that by all possible means. I might save some. This is the Apostle Paul. This is at the height of the church's growth. This is when it expanded like never before. And Paul is saying. I make myself a slave. I strip away. I make myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. We do whatever it takes. We go wherever we're called to go. 
but we are willing. That's the important thing. We are willing, together, we are willing to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. The second thing we have to agree to is to accomplish more with less. And what does that mean? Well, it says right here in Matthew 25, 23, the words of Jesus, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You see, if you agree to do more with less, then less becomes more. If you agree to say to Jesus, well, we'll we'll start where we are. We'll start with what we've got. I'm not going to moan about what we haven't got. I'm not going to dream of what we should have. I'm not going to get disgruntled or disheartened. I'm going to be happy with what we have. Genuinely praising you for what we have. For our starting point. Because when you're willing to do that, then the less becomes more. Because then the blessings of God, the word of God, start to be enacted. And all of a sudden you find yourself getting blessings from places you never thought possible. From people you didn't even know. Blessings will come. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. I saw a guy come in once, didn't know who he was at all. He came in, I was preaching, and we chatted afterwards. And then the following day, he rang up with, I gave him my number, rang up. Turns out this is the guy who owns the company that makes all of the Lego computer games. The Lego Star Wars, everything. He owns the company that makes all of that. He said, I'd like to donate £30,000 to the church. Wow. And he did. He heard the word of God. He saw what we were trying to achieve at the time and tried to accomplish. And he just made that donation. It's phenomenal. But we'd already agreed to do more with less. We'd already agreed to start with what we had and not moan about it. And all of a sudden, the less becomes more. We have to agree to accomplish. The third thing is, we have to agree to accomplish more together than alone. We have to agree to accomplish more together than alone. Acts 4, 34 through 35 says, There were no needy persons among them. Just pause there for a second. It didn't say out there. I'm not talking about food banks and and all the great projects that take place. It says there was no needy persons among them. You see, the way they met each other's needs, both physical and spiritual, they met each other's needs made everybody out there sit up and pay attention. They were like meerkats in the sand dunes. What's going on over there? There's a little tent city set up outside Jerusalem and they're all getting fed. They've all got jobs. They're all looking after each other. We're skipping and hungry over here. I want in. And then they get the gospel. Then they start to follow Jesus. But there was no needy person among them. From time to time, 
Those who owned lands or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I don't know if there are any landowners in here today. I don't know if there are any people that own multiple properties. But the word of God is the word of God. So if there are landowners in here today, from time to time, God may call you to flog it. If you own multiple properties thinking, that's my pension pot, from time to time, God might call you to sell them. And bring the proceeds to the apostles' feet so he can, they can distribute to anyone as they had need. That's the church. That's the truth of the church. Four. And this is probably my favourite. We may not be a mega church, but we are a micro church with a mega vision. I've seen mega church, and I've seen it be really ineffective. In fact, I had a relative who was in a church in Florida, and he'd been in this church for 10 years. Massive church. And then he's at the supermarket, or the mall, as they call it, and he starts chatting with the guy at the tills. And they slowly realise that they're trying to evangelise each other. <laughs> so then they realise that they're both Christians. They say, oh, what church do you go to? Bear in mind, he's been there ten years. This other guy says, so-and-so church. No, that's my church. They never met. They never met because thousands went to this one site, multiple services on a Sunday, there was no family, there was no body of Christ relationship, there was no each person fulfilling their role that Christ had called them to, they were just consumers who turned up for the Sunday show. Yeah. You know, we had the worship band up there, and it was all skinny jeans and ripped t-shirts and smoke machines and lasers. Hard pressed to see the difference when you, if you turn up at church and you're hard pressed to see the difference between what's happening on the stage and a U2 concert, something's wrong. Because Bono might be a Christian, and I use the word might loosely, but what he produces is not worship. So what's happened? What's happened to the culture? This obsession with having mega church. Well, we started to worship worship. We're not worshipping anymore. We're, we're worshipping worship. We're worshipping the worship team. I went to another church in the States. I went on a missions trip to Mexico. And it was in the States. And the worship band struck up. But you couldn't see them. They were in an orchestral pit. At the bottom. Purposely. Because they didn't want it to be the worship of the worship team. They wanted them hid away. I thought that's fantastic. That. That's brilliant. I was in another church, again, I was on another trip in, in South America, in uh, Bogota, in Colombia. And we went on something called an encounter weekend. And do you know how we've been singing, more of you, God? More of you, God? Well, I felt the other end of that spectrum. I was singing, less of you, God. 
Less of you, God. I can't take any more of you, God. Because the reality is when the glory of God does fall, our earthly bodies struggle to stand it. And it's scary. When the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, I came to know that it means actual fear. Not healthy respect, actual fear. Then I went back to Scripture and looked at people who had encountered the angel of the Lord or the Spirit of God. Fear. <coughs> properly scared. I was properly scared. Even though Jesus says, now fear not. Nor be afraid. It's still scary. <laughs> then he said, in Mark 16, 15, go into the world. After you've figured all of that out. <laughs> go into the world. And go everywhere. And announce the message of God's good news. To one and all. Whoever believes and is baptised is saved. Whoever refuses to believe is damned. Ouch. What, heaven and hell? Yes. What, we're supposed to preach it? Yes. We're supposed to understand it? Well, yes, that's why Jesus spent more time teaching on hell than he did on heaven and money. Because he wanted us to understand what this place was. He wanted us to understand the difference between Hades and hell. Because the Bible says Hades will be taken and thrown into hell. So there's a place beyond death that's pretty miserable, but it's not quite hell. And there is a place beyond death, on the other side of the coin, called paradise. It's not quite heaven, but it's still called paradise. Anywhere called paradise has got to be good. We're supposed to teach this, clearly. We're supposed to break it down so that we can understand. And once you understand what hell is, is that if that does not motivate you, if that does not cause you to walk down the street crying as you see the people walking past you, if that does not cause you to be stirred up in your spirit, in your soul, nothing will. Nothing will. We're a micro church, a mega vision. And what is that mega vision? Well, it's locked up in a prayer. The only corporate prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Let heaven touch earth, God. Because in heaven there is no sickness, there is no sadness, there is no, there's nothing but joy and release. Let heaven touch earth, God. That's how the healings take place. Heaven touches earth. That's how the miraculous happens. Heaven touches earth. It's who we need to be. Our life's mission. To become fully devoted followers of Christ. Who make fully devoted followers of Christ. We're called to reproduce. We're called to make Little copies, initially of ourselves, but then find their own identity in Christ and go out and do the same. It's who we're called to be. I remind you again, it was God 
himself, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of ministry. Now, if we believe the word of God, that means in this room exists the fivefold ministries. Because God has already given it. God has already passed it along. The day you surrendered your life to Christ, the day you became a fully devoted follower of Jesus, the day you were baptized and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire, the day you received those things, you received like a download from heaven. And the plan that God had always had for you from the beginning of time was there. And God says, you will be an apostle. You're going to have to go through some stuff first. Same way Peter did. Peter was a disciple before he was an apostle. Paul was a murderer before he became an evangelist. You're going to have to go through some stuff, God says. But you will get to be an apostle. To be a pastor. To be a prophet. To be a teacher. To be an evangelist. You will because I've called you to those things. It was God who gave some. I don't know what your gifting is. I don't know where your ministry sits. But I do know that if you guys are united and you make this pledge that you will reach just one person for Christ in the next 12 months, just one, you all know one person who doesn't know Christ, yes? Yeah. One neighbour, one person that you bump into on a weekly basis. Just one, one of them. And do you know what? We all know more than one. So if that one says no, move on to the next one. But you will pledge to reach at least one person. To start discipling at least one person. Opening up your home, opening up your life. One person. Then in 12 months time... All of a sudden, you need more chairs. Because you've all brought one person. When I've done this before, what happens is, it gets competitive. Well, I brought one, well, I brought two. Oh, really? Well, I brought three. It gets a bit competitive, which is fantastic. And you'll find yourself finding absolute joy in winning people for Christ. The greatest miracle is when somebody stands up and chooses to follow Christ. Salvation is the greatest miracle. To see someone understand and accept the sacrifice that God's own son made upon that cross, upon that day. But he didn't stay there, did he? He rose to grant us eternal life. That we might be called heirs, children of the living God. It's who we're called to be. So if we can agree to do anything short of sin, anything to reach people, the same way Paul described, I'll be a slave to everyone. I'll do all things possible. All things so that some might be saved. If we agree to accomplish more with less, to start where we are, 
with joy. To give out of the blessing that we currently have. So that then God can bless us in our obedience. And that might not be financial blessing, by the way. I'm not a prosperity preacher. It could be numerical blessing. It could be spiritual blessing. It could be releasing the gifts that we spoke of before. But the blessing will come. We agree to accomplish more together than alone. Because unity is the key to revival. And we may not be a mega church, but we will be a micro church with a mega vision. Like the Antioch church. Mm -hmm. The Antioch church never grew, they reckon, beyond about 300. Mm -hmm. But it sent, year after year, it sent, sent people out replenished itself again and sent them out, replenished itself and sent them out. It was a sending church. Yep. It was a micro church, but with a mega vision. It was a micro church back then. 300 would probably cost us a quite a big church these days. It was God who gave some. Who are you? Who's God calling you to be? Are you ready to surrender in the way that God calls you to surrender? Are you ready to strip away all that is needed to fit through the eye of the needle? Are you ready to step onto the narrow path that only some choose and only some persevere on? Are you ready? Each day, to stand up in front of that bathroom mirror and say, Today, Jesus, I will follow you. Today, you are in the driver's seat. And you keep doing it day after day after day. That's how you stay on the narrow path. That's how you stay true to who Jesus has called you to be. That's how you start to unlock the spiritual gifts. That's how the fruits of the Spirit start to become evident in your life. That people will see the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the selflessness and the self-control. They'll see all those things in you. Because every day you choose to follow Jesus. And you pledge, I'm going to get one person. I'm going to get one person. And do you know what? If you aren't getting one person... Other people in your church will have to hold you to account. You said you were going to get one person. You haven't yet. Come on, let's get a plan. Who are you going to get? We're going to support you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to gather around you. We're going to get a prayer list going. And on that list is going to be at least one person that you're going to get. But that's going to be the focus of your church. Reaching the lost. But first off, it's making sure there's no need among you. Because once you get that bit right and you get the unity right, you can't help but then start thinking, how are we going to reach out? It's a natural progression of thought. Jesus, who have you called me to be? Jesus, I want to obey you. I want to live a life of obedience. Help me to follow you. Let's pray. Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message. Please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. 
If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.